Well, the story goes like this. European missionaries were serving in Africa about a century ago, and they hired local villagers as their porters to carry their supplies throughout the continent of Africa, actually to a very distant mission station deep in the interior. After two days, the uh, missionaries were a little unhappy because the porters were naturally, carrying all the luggage, going at a slower pace. And so the missionary said, we've got to go faster. So on the third day, they upped the pace and they ended up going twice as far on the third day as they had gone before. That night at the campfire, the missionaries congratulated themselves for their great ability of leadership. But when the morning came on the fourth day, the villagers said they were not going to budge. <laughs> What's wrong, the missionary said. We cannot go any further. Why? Is someone ill? No, said the African. But we went so quickly yesterday that we must wait here for our souls to catch up to our bodies. <laughs> I love that story because that sounds so much like us today, doesn't it? The rat race that we are in, at least pre-COVID, running at a hectic pace, and now that COVID has let down and requirements have been removed, we're running again at an unbelievable pace. And so we end up finding ourselves almost like our soul is absent from the body. We run faster, work harder, only to fall further behind. We can ill afford to waste time resting, we say to ourselves. We must push forward. This is a world where results speak strongly. So our lives are sadly and tragically out of balance. And somewhere along the way, we have lost the practice of rest. And that's why I love coming to Hebrews chapter 4, because it's all about rest. Now, I'm not going to be talking so much about physical rest as much as I'm going to be talking about a better kind of rest. So I hope you have your Bibles open to the book of Hebrews. We're actually going to be going through the first few verses of chapter 4. But I want you to ignore the chapter division of chapter 4. It's unfortunate. I say that because this is not inspired of God. It was done hundreds of years after the Bible was written. And for the most part, the chapters and verse numbers are helpful, but not here. Because this is all one unit from chapter 3, verse 7, to our chapter 4, probably verse 13. It's all one thought. So let me jump back into chapter 3 for a moment and mention that in this section of scripture, the idea of rest is mentioned 11 times, actually just in chapter four. And we see it mentioned throughout chapter three as well. Someone counted 19 different times. And this is all a quotation from Psalm 95. Remember that? So chapter three and chapter four of Hebrews is... Um, quoting 
freely from Psalm 95. And while the word rest is mentioned multiple times, the challenging thing is this. There are at least four different kinds of rests mentioned. And that's why it can be so confusing. So we start out with the scripture that we have on the screen from chapter 3. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter in to God's rest because of unbelief. So you go right into chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Now the rest that was mentioned in chapter 3 is what we'll call Canaan's rest. The land of Canaan. God's rest offered to his people in the Old Testament is Canaan rest. Look at, uh, oh, I think I have on the screen Deuteronomy chapter 25. Right, Deuteronomy chapter 25. And it talks about the fact that when Joshua was going to take over for Moses and lead people into the promised land, it was going to be a conquest. They would conquer the nations there. Then they would have the land and it would be their rest. The Lord, your God, gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he's given you as a possession or to possess as an inheritance. So that's Canaan rest. We know it clearly from chapter 3. You don't need to turn back. But the Holy Spirit said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, as they did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, though for 40 years I saw what they did, and that's why I was angry with that generation and said they will not enter into my rest, the land of Canaan. And they didn't enter in. You know the story if you've read the Old Testament because that older generation died off before the younger generation under Joshua went in, right? They failed to enter God's rest because of unbelief. That is repeated in chapter 3 of, or in verse 3 of chapter 4, Psalm 95, again, liberally quoted, they shall Never enter my rest. Verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, there wouldn't be another one. The first rest is the promised rest of Canaan. But when we look at chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 1, notice it says that there still remains rest. Now, wait a minute. By this time, 1,400 years after the rebellion, the people of God are in the land. So whatever they're talking about by way of rest has got to be something more substantial. It's another kind of rest. And in fact, in verse 1, it says, let us be careful. The Greek word there is taken from phobos. Let us be careful is probably a little too weak it, the warning should sound something like this, let us fear. Lest we fall short of entering 
that rest. So it has to be something different than the land of Canaan because the readers can fall short of it. In fact, this is the exact message the Apostle Paul used in 1 Corinthians 10 when he talked about these same stories of the rebellion and the exodus and going through the Red Sea and then said in chapter 10, verse 12, you that think you stand, take heed lest you fall. There is sinful presumption in thinking that all is well when all is not well. So take heed. Now, verse 2 says something interesting about that wilderness family so long ago. For we also had the good news proclaimed to us just as it was proclaimed to them. Isn't that interesting? They heard the good news, the gospel, and we have heard the good news, the gospel. Now, for the wilderness family, it was deliverance from Egypt and the covenant made at Mount Sinai. For us, it is the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, as we sang this morning so beautifully. But in both cases, God's redemptive love is demonstrated in his saving acts, whether it's getting his people out of Egypt or getting his people under the new covenant out of sin. It's the gospel. But notice it says the gospel has no value if it is not combined with what? Faith. Hearing the gospel does you no good if you don't mix it with faith. They heard the good news, we heard the good news. They didn't enter in, you are entering in. What is the difference? Faith. They believed God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God, by the way, this is Hebrews 11, for the one who comes to God must first of all believe that he is. It's a good start. <laughs> and secondly, that he is good to those who diligently seek him. He exists and he's good, and if you diligently seek him by faith, you will be richly blessed. So we come to verse three and just the first phrase of it. Now we who have believed enter that rest. They didn't, we do. The difference is we mixed our hearing with faith, which brings us to the second type of rest. And we'll call this, because of verse three, the believer's rest. The believer's rest. Now that is the rest for the present day. But what does the present day mean? I mean, we're not confined to the historical circumstances of the Exodus in 1400 BC, roughly. But now there's a believer's rest that these people have entered into and, and again, they're 1,400 years after the Exodus. But we're going to see that David, in Psalm 95, wrote about this same story, and that's like 1,000 years B.C., 400 years after the Exodus, and there it was called today as well. The believer's rest 
is simply this. Faith, faith takes us in to a saving relationship with God. And unbelief keeps us out. This believer's rest could also be called gospel rest. And the difference, they mixed faith with what they heard. Now, we have the same situation today. People attend Bible-believing churches like South, and they hear the gospel preached, but for some, there is no value. Why? Because they don't mix it with faith. They hear it, and like water off a duck's back, it's gone. And there are others who embrace it. Remember Jesus taught about the four different soils when the seed of the word of God was sown? Some hearts are rocky and the seed never penetrates and the birds of the air come and eat it up. And then some soil is shallow and the seed actually germinates and there's some growth, but because the seed is so shallow, the sun comes out and the plant dries up and it's gone. Well, there's another soil that's really good soil. It's deep, it's rich, and the seed goes in and it bears, it, it, it germinates and begins to grow, but it's in the midst of thorns. And the thorns choke out the fruit. And there's only one kind of soil that's good. It's called good soil. <laughs> it's not hard, it's not shallow, and it has no thorns. And that's the only kind of heart it is the heart of faith. Your heart may be hard and the word doesn't penetrate. So when you hear the gospel, no value. Or you hear it and embrace it and you're all enthusiastic and little persecution and you say, I'm done with that. Never forget we had a Bible study in high school and there was a group of guys that came to Christ and two days later, Russ came to me and said, Don, he said, you know that decision I made a couple nights ago at that meeting? I said, yeah. He said, I want to take it back. <laughs> I was dumbfounded. <laughs> he said, is it okay if I can take it back? Like I was, you know, the priest or something that I had power to say, okay, now I will get you off the hook. I said to him, Russ, if you didn't mean it, you don't have to take anything back. You never had it. And he said, Good. I don't know whatever happened to Russ. I'd really like to find out. But that was the soil that believed for a moment, then it was gone. And then Hebrews is talking about a soil that doesn't bear any fruit. So it looks a lot like the good thing, the, the real thing. But we remember, we've been told that perseverance proves that our faith is genuine. And that's exactly what's talking about here. So we go to verse 3. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Past tense, deed done. We have entered the believer's rest or the gospel's rest. That just as God said, so I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. There are two groups, those that God let in to his rest and those by oath whom he says they'll never enter in. And the difference? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But then he says something kind of interesting in the middle of verse 3. And yet, God's works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day. I love that, I love that phraseology. This guy's a Hebrew scholar. He knows the Old Testament inside and out. He's quoting the Greek Old Testament. He, he knows where it's found. It's found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, by the way. But I love the way he says it. Somewhere... Someone has said, just almost in a casual way, about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, quoting Psalm 95, they shall never enter into my rest. And now we're introduced to a third type of rest. Get this. This is called creation rest. Creation rest. God worked six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. By the way, you may not be a Sabbatarian. A Sabbatarian believes that there are certain laws and rules that you must follow on the Sabbath day. In the Old Testament, it was clearly Saturday, and under Judaism, there was no work to be done, no travel to be made. You rested. And some have said in the Christian New Covenant, the Sabbath has been changed from Saturday to Sunday. I don't believe so. <laughs> but some have done that, and, and so they have those same rules that Judaism had for Saturday they place on Sunday. And then, of course, there are Seventh-day Adventists who do the same thing, only still keep Saturday. It gets confusing. But I think what you have is a creatorial purpose that one in seven days should be a day of rest. And we've gotten out of whack because we don't follow that pattern. So God's example in Genesis 2, which was quoted in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, is a pattern for us. And Josh Becker, who I don't believe is a believer, wrote an interesting article about we've lost the practice of resting on the seventh day. Business knows you'll be more productive if you rest. Athletes know they'll be more competitive if they rest. Physicians know your body will be more healthy if you rest. We say we don't have time for rest. But God says you need to have it. And yet he's not talking about physical rest. It's interesting that the word seven or seventh in the Hebrew is what? Sabbath, Shabbat. So there is in the very number the meaning and intention of the day. So on the Sabbath, seventh, God rested from all his works. Did you know that Adam and Eve entered into God's rest when they were created and they were having fellowship with God in the garden? They were living in God's rest. What a great time that must have been. But then they sinned and they forfeited the rest of God, the creation rest of God. And now God has been working all of the time to restore his people redemptively back into creation's rest. 
So in a sense, creation rest is like the believer's rest. And while the people in Canaan were going into the land of Canaan to find physical rest in the land, there was a greater rest that they didn't get. Even though they got into the land, they were not achieving God's rest, which comes by believing, right? From the very get-go, God wanted us to enjoy rest. It's his ultimate purpose. And just because the wilderness family missed it doesn't mean that it has been eliminated from God's plan. There is still rest to be entered into. Their life became death. Their work became toil because they disobeyed God. How many people disobey God because they think the plan God has for them is going to be cruel and restrictive and no fun? When, my friend, it is the exact opposite. What is this Sabbath rest? Well, it's peace. It's shalom, which includes the lack of conflict as well as this wonderful heightened sense of well-being. Contentment by virtue of contest, uh, confidence and trust in God. And when we possess these Sabbath qualities of resting in God, then we have, as Philippians 4, 7 says, a peace that passes all understanding. Don't you want that? I do. I have to live in a crazy world, but I don't want to be crazy like the world. Someone said that stress Stress is the perception that the demands of life are greater than the resources I possess. Stress is a perception, conviction, that the demands of life around me are far greater than the resources I have to cope with them. I think that's a good definition. And when the believer forgets that they are in Christ and the resources we have in Christ, we live a stress filled life. Most every time I go into stress, it's because my eyes are taken off Christ. Is he big enough for this situation? Of course he is. Of course he is. We give the little things to God, but we're afraid to give the big things to God. And I ask you the question, what is a big thing for God? <laughs> Nothing. And yet we don't think we have the resources to handle it, so we get all stressed out. And we lose what God intended us to have from the beginning, something called Sabbath rest. Verse 6, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, the rest of God, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Notice how that's mentioned over and over again. Unbelief keeps us out. Verse 7. God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later, after the rebellion, 400 years, he said through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Get this. Because the first today was rejected, 
God introduces another one. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. You can only be saved today. But I miss today. Today. It's today. The Bible is amazing. 2,000 years later, it is still called today. Second Corinthians, Paul says, chapter 6, today is the day of salvation. That was 2,000 years ago. And we can go further back to that when David said, today. Be glad for God's multiple todays. That, my friend, is his grace. For if you rejected him yesterday, today, if you hear him, don't say no. Unbelief continued equals a hard heart, petrified. And a hard heart never hears the word of God. Our present state is like being in the wilderness. We're all in the wilderness in some sense. Peace was offered to them. Peace is offered to us. And God calls today, today. J.B. Phillips has a great paraphrase. It is clear that some were intended to experience this rest. And since the previous hearers of the message failed to attain it because they would not believe God, God proclaims a further opportunity when he says through David many years later, today. Just as he had said today before. <laughs> today. If you hear his voice. Every day is today. If you can still hear. Every day is today. If you are still here, and we don't have a guarantee on either one, because if we harden our heart, I think the unpardonable sin is where the Spirit of God says, I'm done. I think it's pretty rare, but it has happened. Today is a dynamic word because God is a living God and the Bible is a living book and you can find neither of them. You can confine neither of them to one particular era or one particular people. It transcends everything. And then he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their labors, their works, just as God did from his. So now we're on the fourth rest, and it's called a Sabbath rest. You say, how is that different from creation rest? Well, this Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God who've already entered into the rest. My mind is blown. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've gone over Hebrews 4 before I could get an inkling of what it said. But it's just like salvation. God has saved you and you are truly saved, but you don't have it all yet, right? You're justified. And by God's grace, you're being sanctified. But one day you will be glorified. And that's the rest of your salvation. So you can say, I am saved. I am being saved. And I'm going to be saved. 
I have entered into rest, but I haven't received all the rest that God has promised for me. The word Sabbath rest is one word in the original, and it's only found here in the book of Hebrews. The truest rest promised by God is yet to be received. Rest has been realized, but we're still anticipating it. The promised rest of Psalm 95 is the same as the creation rest of Genesis 2, actually. God wanted his people not just to enter into the land, but into the rest of a salvific relationship with him. And they wouldn't do that even though they finally entered into the land. And now God is talking to us about an eternal Sabbath. Don't you long for that? I mean, think of heaven. Right? Don't you, don't you long for that? I have to admit I didn't when I was in my 20s. I really didn't long for it. I knew about it. thought it was good. But I'm 20. I just hope the Lord doesn't come before I can get married. Right? <laughs> Experience life. I mean, let him come, but could you wait a while, please? Hmm. When I went into college, I had an album by Doug Oldham. Remember Doug used to sing? He actually had a concert here at South years ago in the early 90s. And the whole LP, ask your parents what that is, was (laughs) about heaven. And I began to get hungry for heaven. But now, at this stage of the game, when you see good friends... Go there. You long for it. The time is not here, and you want to stay here as long as God wants you to. And and like Paul said, you know, for me to stay is better but for ministry, but to depart, to be with Christ is far better than anything else. Eternal Sabbath. So that's what it means at the end of verse 10. Anyone who enters into this eternal Sabbath rest of God also rests from their works just as God did from his. Now, some people try to to make this, you know, I'm resting from works to try to be saved. But that's not the context. The context says when we reach this eternal rest, our works are done. In fact, he talks a lot about the work of obedience and the work of perseverance in this book. And we won't be done with those works until we are in glory. So just like God rested when his work was done, so when our work is done, when we get to heaven, we will rest from our works. And that's exactly what Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says. I heard a voice in heaven say, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit of God. They will rest from their labor. That's why they're blessed. They're in heaven. And their works will follow them. The best is yet to come. 
God wants us to experience a great rest right now, a Sabbath rest by having our sins forgiven and that we would have peace with God, peace with God and the peace of God and constant rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the believer's rest, the gospel rest, the original creation rest that God wanted his people to enjoy without sin. But there yet remains a rest for us that is eternal. Now let me just mention that in verse 8, the name Joshua in the Greek is the same as the name Jesus. They're identical. And only context will tell you which, but the readers who were Hebrews and yet were Hellenistic, so they knew the Greek language, that's why he used the Greek Old Testament, they wouldn't have missed that. (laughs) Joshua failed to get his people into the rest, but Jesus is victorious in purchasing our rest and rest forever. It's the holy gift of God. Therefore, verse 11, and we come to another conclusion, let us make sure, let us give every effort to enter into that rest. We're not saved by our efforts. But we need to be diligent. We need to do everything we can to make sure we know Christ. And if we know Christ, our life will prove it. And if we're filled with disobedience, like the nation of old, we don't enter in. So here are some important points. God's rest is a reality. And you can have it because he offers it to you. Secondly, you enter this rest by faith. And thirdly, you miss this rest by unbelief. Are you going to mix faith with what you hear or reject? Become hardened and hear God take an oath They're not getting into my rest. Many years ago, the well-known preacher Vance Havner. How many people remember the name Vance Havner? Okay. If I ask the creative crowd, I may not get a hand. But you guys know who Vance Havner is. Wonderful preacher. Good friend of Warren Worsby's. He was renowned for his quick wit. And one day a church leader criticized him for the long breaks, rest periods he took. Havner was in the habit of taking a month every Sunday, or every summer, one month every summer to spend with his family. And another month during the year just to study the scriptures. And this scripture, and this leader of the church said, Dr. Havner, don't you realize that the devil never takes a vacation? To which Havner said, and who wants to be like the devil? (laughs) Yeah, who does? God's given us rest. The devil wants stress and turmoil and fear. And God says, look what I've purchased for you on the cross through my son. Enter into my rest. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, quiet our hearts in the still of this moment. And may many say, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come to thee. I come. Lord, I think there are people here who have never believed. Maybe they're part of the family of God, but outwardly, not inwardly. It's a matter of the heart, and they've never mixed heart faith sincerely with the message of the gospel. And they remain unconverted among the people of God because they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Draw some people today, Lord, to yourself. Let them see their need. Let them see the love of God. Let them see Jesus dying for their sins and the open invitation, whoever calls on me will be saved. And then, Father, for those of us who are believers who live lives that are sadly and tragically out of balance, teach us what it is to rest in the finished work of Christ so our hearts are at peace. And teach us to rest in the physical world, too, so our lives can be used for your glory. Let's take a moment just to deal with God, shall we? Keep praying. Father, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us, for your forgiveness. And we give you all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we surrender to you. Amen. Amen. Well, just before.